again, it's good to be with you guys today. I'm just going to clean up my space. We had so many answers from the morning show question. Who knew Disney was going to be what would unite the church? Anyway, uh, let's pray a little bit, and uh, we'll dive into God's Word and into what prayer means and what that looks like. Let's pray. God, uh, we are praying about prayer today. Lord, we are praying about having a conversation with you and what that looks like and, and what you're trying to do. Uh, Lord, I pray that uh, through this message, as we reflect on uh, the heartbeat of your story, and as we reflect on our, a God who wants to hear from us, Lord, who wants to shape us, Lord, I pray that you help us draw closer to you. We say this all in your son's precious name. Amen. So we are starting a new sermon series called Teach Us to Pray. We had just finished up the Corinthian series, so we kind of hit the major highlights and themes through the book of Corinthians. Uh, and as we were thinking through where we wanted to go next, we knew that this not a VBS thing, we wanted to talk about prayer. And it was actually Betsabe who's like, we should do a sermon series on prayer. And I'm like, we should do a sermon series on prayer. And we're not the only ones who want to know that. In fact, as we saw from our gospel reading today in Luke, the disciples wanted to know how to pray. They wanted to better understand who God was. They asked him, they said, Lord, Jesus, teach us to pray. Teach us how to talk to God. Teach us how to think about God. Teach us how to have a relationship with the creator of the universe. And I think all of us as Christians want to understand that better. I know as a Christian, I want my prayer life to be deeper. And sometimes we can overcomplicate what prayer is. And other times we don't have the tools we need to better connect with God. And so that's what we're going to hope to do through this sermon series is to give you a couple of practical tools and not to say this is the only way to pray. There's tons of different types of prayers in the Bible, ways, methods that work, and they'll work for you for a season and then maybe you'll use a different tool. But we want to give you those tools in this sermon series. But before we do, we need to take a step back, and I'm going to ask you guys to indulge me. Give me about five minutes to talk through a story concept that I promise will help enlighten where we're going as we talk through what is the point of prayer. This actually came out of a conversation Ryan Kirk and I were having on Thursday night. Uh, just FYI, I love hanging out with you guys. I love going out and grabbing a coffee or grabbing a drink and just saying, hey, what's God doing in your life? And, and talking through how we see God and, and, and where God's calling us. And through that, I was talking about my love for stories and my love for story craft and understanding how good stories are put together. And the best stories that you know, the best stories that I know, will typically have a controlling idea and a counter idea. And these two ideas will battle it out throughout the entire story until, in the best stories, the controlling idea wins. The good guys win, but to get there, they have to battle, right? And the best stories will have this. And the reason why we talked about Disney is because we're going to talk about an example from Disney that will express this well. And then we'll talk about what is the Bible's controlling and counter idea. All right, so start off Lion King as an example. The controlling idea of the Lion King deals with the circle of life, right? So the circle of life, right? That, that's why Betsabe is our worship leader, right? 
Uh, but it starts off, right, and uh, for those of you who have not seen The Lion King, I apologize. It's been out for about 35 years. If this is a spoiler warning, you had your shot, okay? But it starts off, right, and it's the Circle of Life theme song, and uh, the little monkey holds up Simba, right, and does the, you know, big thing, and all creation comes. And then it shows Simba growing up, and his father, Mufasa, gives him the circle of life talk. And he talks about what type of king he's supposed to be and how the creation is supposed to live in harmony. And the father, Mufasa, is trying to teach his son, this is the type of king I need you to be, that we're going to live in the circle of life. We're going to protect the circle of life. And then do any of you remember what the first song is immediately after that? Does anyone remember? I just can't wait to be king, right? And so his dad talks him through like this circle of life and serving and protecting. And he immediately goes to, I want everyone to follow my rules, right? And he's talking about how I can tell everyone to go left and go right. And everyone has to listen to me, right? Simba doesn't quite get it. But the controlling idea, right? And it looks like this. It's this beautiful image, right? Of creation in harmony with one another. That's the controlling idea, but if that was just the story and it was just all peaceful, that, that's not the Lion King, right? There is a counter idea, right? That no, it's not about living in harmony. It's not protecting the circle of life. Instead, it's about getting as much as you can. It's about being in power and devouring as much as you can, as much as you want. And Simba has that a little bit, but Scar has that a lot of bit, right? And so there's the controlling idea, the circle of life, and then there is the counter idea. And the counter idea fights against it, and it battles against it, and eventually Scar ends up taking over, and now there's a very different picture, right? Now, because everything's been devoured, right, things are in decay. And it looks like Scar's going to win, right? And Simba gets banished. And he starts living a Kuma Matata. Right, man, so many banger songs in that movie, right? Um, but then eventually, he gets called back, and there's a battle. Who's going to win? Is the team circle of life, team protection going to win, or is no team devour going to win? And they go to battle, literally, in the movie. And eventually, Simba wins, right? He defeats Scar, and then it ends with him raising his own son in the circle of life, Right? controlling idea, counter idea, going at it. And I use that as an example because the Bible is the ultimate story, right? It's the story of all stories. It's the story where we all get our stories from and understanding what God is trying to do. And there are more than one controlling ideas and counter ideas. So I'm not telling you this is the end-all, be-all, know this one thing and you get it. But one of the big controlling ideas in Scripture is that humanity is better off when we live in God's will. That living in God's created order, the way he designed it to be, we're better off. That when we're in sync with God, when we're in rhythm with God, things are good. But, but there is a counter-idea, and the best counter-ideas you can look at and you can make an argument for, Right? That you can say, no, there, there's truth there, or at least there looks like there's truth there. The counter idea is, no, humanity is better off living under our own will. Which in a way makes sense, right? Like, no, I should be able to make my own decisions. 
I should be able to live in my own will with my own desires, my own wants. That's right. I'm an individual. God made me as an individual. Why, why should I follow his plan, not my own plan? Right? And every war is because of this, though. Every argument you've ever had with your spouse about how you should spend money is about my will versus their will, right? Every argument you've had with a sibling or with a friend, right, of this or that is it's my will versus your will, and everything breaks down, right? And you actually see this in the beginning of Scripture in Genesis. This is what God says. The Lord took man and put him in the garden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, You are surely to eat of every tree of the garden. Okay, this is huge. Right? So God creates the world day after day after day. He says, It's good, it's good, it's good. He puts man in the world to keep it, to tend it. And what I love about this is it doesn't say, all right, and now I've got all this fruit, and on Mondays you have to eat bananas, and on Tuesdays you have to eat apples, and on Wednesdays, well, then you can have some meat. Right? That's not what it says. You can surely eat of any tree of the garden. God's will is not a one direct path for your life. Sometimes we can get it into our heads that, like, God wants puppets, and he wants us to do this very narrow Josh is going to have steak today, and I'm going to have chicken tomorrow, or I'm going to go work out, or i got to read the Bible at 8 a.m., right? That God has this one path for me. That is not Scripture. God's will isn't one path. God's will is living in love, loving him with our whole heart and loving our neighbor as ourselves. And in that, we have infinite choices. We can eat what we want. We can love how we want, right? There's freedom, when we live in harmony with God's will, there's choice, right? That's what the, set, the setup is. And it starts off in the garden good because we are in harmony with God's will. But there's a second verse. But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. God's will, but he gives us a choice. Eat of everything. It's all for you. I built the world for you. All creation is for you to keep and to steward and to learn to be creators and caretakers and nurture this beautiful world he created. It's all for you. Just, just don't touch this one. Right? But, but humanity, just like all of us do on a day-to-day -day basis, we say, no, you know, I'd rather do it by myself. Right? It's the button, right? Do not touch. And all of us just look at the button, right? Even, like, even if we're not looking at the button, we're, we're kind of looking at the button, right? right? That, that's life. Because we want to do it our own way. We want to be in control. And God says, when you are in control, surely you will die. Because as all of us find out, our own quote-unquote best thinking leads to some of the worst places. And God has something better for us than our own broken thinking. He has good for us. Living in his will, living in harmony with him, is Genesis chapter 1 and 2. It's not until Genesis 3 where we put our own will into it. And then you look through the entire Old Testament and you live in this cycle that repeats itself over and over and over again where God starts off and he makes things good. And he says, here's the plan. 
And then humanity says, counterpoint, we have our own plan. Three, things go to hell, literally. We start breaking down reality. We start breaking down God's reality. Then there's some kind of consequence to our decisions. And then we repent, we turn back, and God's like, okay, I'm going to fix it again. Right? And then it goes good for a little bit. And then we're like, counterpoint! Our own broken thinking leads to consequences, leads to pain, leads to repentance. And over and over and over again, you see this cycle in the Bible. It happens in Genesis. It happens in the book of Judges. It happens with King David and the kings that follow him. God saves the people. We choose our own way. We choose our own will. There are consequences to that. We, we, we then are oppressed. We repent. And, and God rescues us over and over and over again. And that is the theme of the Old Testament. That God keeps fixing the externals, but it doesn't fix things. And, and this is crucial, because I think if we didn't have the Old Testament, have you guys ever convinced yourself, God, if you just gave me this, everything would finally be okay? Have you ever, has that ever happened to you? You're like, God, if you could just fix these external things, I would finally be better. God, if you could just give me this job, right, that will fix everything, right? If you can just give me this spouse, or if you can just give me this house, or if you can just fix whatever, or God, if we could just move, that's the solution. We just need to move somewhere else, some different county, some different state. But the problem is, everywhere we go, that there we are, right? It doesn't matter how many times God fixed the externals in the Old Testament, we would turn back. We would turn inward, and we would break it all over again. And it's a cycle over and over again. And so what we see in Scripture is that if the Old Testament is about fixing the externals, the New Testament is a new part of the story where God says, no, we're not going to do that anymore. This time, we're going to fix the inside. That way, everywhere we go, He is. That, that we can't turn, instead of, Instead of fixing something outside, it fixes something inside, and from the inside, then we can start to fix long-term the outside. And this was the plan, and I would like you guys to open your Bibles. If you have your Bibles with us, either on your phone, if you're using the same ones we are, it's going to be on page, it's Jeremiah uh, 31, uh, page 1006. And I'm going to give you a minute or two to open your Bibles. This is one of the key verses in the Old Testament that explains God's plan. That really is the bridge that gets us from the Old Testament to the New Testament, that God was going to do something. So Jeremiah 31, starting in verse 32, it starts with the old. It says, It will not be like the old covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, right? God took them out of slavery. He fixed the externals. He gave them a brand new land. So I'm giving this all to you just the same way he did in the garden, right? This is yours. Live in my will. Live in rhythm with me. Live in love. And he says, no, they broke that covenant. So we're going to do something different. And that starts in verse 33. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel. And again, the word Israel literally means those who wrestle with God, which is good because everyone in this room, including your pastor, wrestles with God. So this is the covenant I will make with people who wrestle with God. That after that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. 
I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will know me from the least of them to the greatest. In the Old Testament, God was already seeding, we're going to do something different in part two. And we needed the Old Testament as the ultimate affirmation that, no, fixing the externals won't work. We've already tried that, so now we are going to move to fixing our hearts. And he's going to write his law, he's going to write his will in our hearts. And that word law literally is the word Torah, which is where we get the first five books of the Bible. And oftentimes when we think about laws, we're like, okay, Ten Commandments, what are all the rules? But we're going to see just a little bit. The only two rules that Jesus cared about, he says, all the rules are encapsulated in two things. Loving God with everything you have and loving your neighbor as yourself. That's the law. That's God's will that he is trying to get in our lives. And all of us need more of that. Which then brings us to the New Testament. Where again, you're going to hear God's will again. This is from the book of Romans. Paul writes, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of what Jesus has done for you, to offer your body as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. So do not conform any longer to the pattern of the world, to our own will, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then what will happen then you will be able to test and approve what's God's will. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. That's what God wants for you. He wants you to know his will. He wants you to understand it. He wants you to live in it, to be in rhythm with it. Because in it, the controlling idea, humanity is better off. Your family is better off. Your coworkers are better off. You and I as individuals are better off when we learn to live in God's will. And one of the key ways we do that is through prayer, is through our relationship with God. And we're going to see that in the Lord's Prayer. That through it, so much of it is about us getting in tune with what God is doing in and through our lives. And we're going to actually be hanging out in the Matthew version of the Lord's Prayer. In your Bibles, uh, that is going to be on page 1238. And it's a little bit different than what you see in Luke. And if you've ever wondered, why is it sometimes different, like in Luke's gospel than it is in Mark's gospel or Matthew's gospel? Well, part of the reason is Jesus didn't just give one sermon one time. In fact, what he would do is he would go from location to location, preaching, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near, and then he would give sermons on that, and he would repeat the sermons because he would get new people. And so he would give the same message over and over and over again, and depending on the crowd, he would tweak it a little bit. And so the Matthew account of the Lord's Prayer is a little bit different than the Luke account of Lord's Prayer. In the same way where if you were to hear me preach the same sermon to a first and a second service, which there's a good chance that's going to have to happen, because I don't know if you realize this, there have been a lot of you here lately, which is great, uh, but it is kind of creating a logistical uh, next step, and so we're looking at that. But if you were to hear me preach the exact same sermon, because I don't do pure manuscript preaching, you would get a little variety, right? And so that's what's happening here. 
But the Matthew account is the closest one to what we have now today is what we would consider the Lord's Prayer. So this is what Jesus says, starting in verse 9. This is then how you should pray. And I'm going to break for one second. Uh, We're going to teach you guys a method. And again, this is not the only way to pray. So just hear me clearly. If this is not the way that you decide to pray for the next six months, that's all right. Um, But it's going to start with this idea of acknowledging who we're praying to. And that's how Jesus starts the Lord's Prayer. That we have to figure out, okay, who are we directing this prayer to? Who am I talking to when I'm on my knees or I'm sitting at the couch with my coffee or or I'm laying in bed? And so we're going to start off with the word our. One word. It's going to take us about three weeks to get through this prayer. No. Um, Our. And this is huge. Okay? This may be one of the most counter-cultural pieces to Christianity. We do not start the Lord's Prayer with my Father. And we could. He is your Father and he is my Father. Jesus says that explicitly. You have a personal God. But he is our God. And he is our Father, which means we are all part of the same family. And there is such a depth to that of realizing that when we pray, it's not meant to purely be personal. Yes, it's meant to be personal. We'll get to the second word of that in a second. But it is meant to be corporate. It is meant to be our family prayer because we're not supposed to just be praying for ourselves and our own needs, but realizing, no, we are starting off in a family, which is great. Because you know what? When I'm by myself, I'm lonely. And if it was just me and God, yes, he would be enough But all of a sudden, I would start to turn that God into my own image. But when it's our Father that we're coming to, there is community there. There is something beautiful that happens. So the first word, our, is really important. And then that second word, Father. Right? It's not just our God. Right? It's not like our Zeus. Right? This this kind of powerful but distant thing. No, Father is an intimate relationship. A parent to their child. And none of us are perfect parents. None of us have perfect parents. But at its best, and certainly our Father is at its best, that relationship, that care, is a God who says, I want you to bring your needs to me. And we got tons of families in this church. And, and, and we've got good families in this church. We've got parents who love their kids. And all of you, if your kids were hurting, you would want them to come to you, right? If, if they had something to celebrate, If there was a victory, if there was a win, you would want them to bring that to you, right? Same thing with our Father. He invites us. He wants us to have a relationship. He wants us to pour out our heart and like, this is going awesome. And what the literal hell is happening here, right? That's the God that we have. That's the Father that we have. But it's not my Father. It's not your Father. It's our Father. And then hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. And realizing that we have a God who is good. And and we have a God who cares. And we have a God who creates. Not just a generic God, but a God of Genesis. A God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. A God of Israel, of those who wrestle with him. Acknowledging and understanding that we have a 
God of power? A God of purity? A God of holiness? Right? What, what type of God do we have? Well, we have a good one. How would it be your name? And then we get into it. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right? That's the prayer. The controlling idea. Humanity is best off when we're living in God's will. Your family is best off. Your kids are best off. Your your student at school is better off living in God's will. And so we pray for God's will. Your kingdom come. That word kingdom means your reign, your control. God, we want you to be in control because we've already figured out here on earth we're not really good at that. Right? Our broken control is what leads to all the brokenness that we see. So, Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I love that line. Because in heaven, God's will is done. That is an absolute fact. It's only here on earth where he gave us some control, some autonomy that things break down. And so what are we asking for? We're saying, God, we want earth to be a little bit more like heaven. And in heaven, no one's cut off from community, Lord. So for those who feel that they don't belong in the church, Lord, we want your will to be done in their life because they do belong in the church. And in heaven, people don't go hungry. So Lord, your will be done. We don't want people to go hungry here and we want to be a part of that solution. We want to be a part of that rhythm and that will and that love that that you have given us. In, In heaven... There's community. And so on earth, we want community. In heaven, there's no war, so on earth, we don't want war. Your will be done. Heavenly Father, help us get back into the controlling idea, the truth that you have good for this world, that you have good for me, and I'm best off when I am living in rhythm with you that I'm right with you and, I, and I'm right with my neighbor and my spouse and, and my kids and, and that one neighbor whose dogs bark too much. That's Erica and I, by the way. So we're that neighbor. Um, yeah. And so the Lord's Prayer becomes a vehicle for us to align ourselves to God's will. That we again remember what we're praying for. That we're asking for him to again be in control. And not in a way that then puppets us. That you have to second guess every single choice that you make. Yes, there are inflection points sometimes where God really needs you to go one way or another way, but 99.99999% of it, when you're in tune with God's will, do whatever you want. Eat. Have a party. Call a friend. Mow a neighbor's grass. There's no wrong answer when we are living in God's will. In fact, there are lots of right answers. And so there is freedom there. We only get into bondage when we get into our will because what's interesting about our will There is only one path forward in our will, right? Right? If I'm really living in my will, if I am really convinced that this is the most important house project that we have, my will becomes singular. And then anything that gets in the way of that, anyone who gets in the way of that, that's where the breakdown happens, right? Where in God's will, there may be 20 things I can do around the house. 20 ways I can reach out to my grandma. 20,000 ways I can love my neighbor as myself. And there is freedom there. 
And, again, this is huge, it's love your neighbor as yourself, right? A few chapters later, Jesus will be asked, so teacher, and they're meant to trap him at this point, what's the most important commandment? And what he tells them is, love God with everything you got. With all your heart, mind, and soul. And love your neighbor as yourself. And C.S. Lewis puts it so eloquently, loving your neighbor is a curse if you are not called to love yourself as well. God's will isn't, all right, you are going to pour everything out and not take care of yourself. Before there were self-help books, Jesus was saying, love your neighbor as yourself. You are called. Your Father wants you to take care of yourself. But he's also calling you to love everyone else at that same length. And in that, there is balance and there is freedom and, and there is goodness and something good is happening. And again, th- this theme is New Testament, but this theme is Old Testament too. From Deuteronomy, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. This is called the Shema, because the word literally here means Shema. And so within the Jewish tradition, this is probably the most well-known understood verse of the Bible. It's, it's, it's the key that unlocks so much of the Old Testament. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. Love him. And that word Shema literally means to obey, to listen and to obey. So not just to know the right thing, not just to hear it, but to then respond in action with it. And that's part of what God is asking us as his kids. If we want to get in line with his will, if, if we want to under, better understand it, We don't just have to hear it. We don't just read the words, but then it has to change something inside of us. And and what we see in Scripture is, and this is really good news, God does not expect you to do the changing. Because as we've seen through the Old Testament, when you put humanity in charge of things, it goes sideways quick, right? When I'm in charge of the change, it goes sideways. No, instead, Jesus promises us the Holy Spirit. And he says these words, All this I have spoken while I was still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, the Counselor, whom your Father will send in my name, will teach you all of these things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So I'm going to send you the Spirit, the Counselor, and he's going to do the work inside you. He's going to do the renovations inside of you to better help you listen, but then to obey. That it's not on us to figure it out, but instead, when we have a posture that allows God to do that work, he does the internal changing. He does the fixing. The Spirit comes up, and all of a sudden, I have better ears. I have better eyes. I have a better heart to love my neighbor as myself. To remember the God that I have who is for me and who is for you and who is our Father. And the Holy Spirit does this cool stuff inside of us. It's kind of like the Energizer Bunny. You guys remember the Energizer Bunny? Again, this is, I'm just dating all the millennials right now, right? Energizer Bunny. The, the point isn't the bunny, right? The point is the battery on the bunny. That's what's doing all the work. The Holy Spirit is that. It's the power inside of us, but all of a sudden it plugs in, and then Energizer Bunny, remember just doing all the crazy stuff, like powering UFOs and, you know, saving the world? That, that's us with the Holy Spirit. 
that he promised us power and that when we are in tune, when we are listening, when we are praying, we have an opportunity to then get in tune with that will and humanity, our families, our neighbors, our kids, our fellow students, they're better off. And the person in the mirror is better off. And, and we know that to be true. And that, that's part of one of the reasons why we talk about prayer. So this Acts method of praying, right, and I want to be clear, uh, we like, the church is named Acts. This is not like we came up with this. This is a model. In fact, I was talking to Luke uh, with the management team a few months ago. And one of the questions I said was, hey, how do you pray? What are the different methods? And he, was, he had mentioned the Acts method. I'm like, oh, I've done that before. And so we're going to talk through this for the next four weeks of a method, and again, this is not from on high, this is the only way to pray forever and ever, amen. I used to feel really guilty when I would change my method of praying. For almost two decades, the way I would pray was I'd wake up in the morning, I'd get my coffee, because before I have coffee, I'm not really awake and I can't talk to God or anyone for that matter, right? So I'd get my coffee in me, and then I would go and I'd kneel literally at my bed for about 15 minutes, and I would pray, and I would read a little scripture, and I would pray, and I would meditate, and for a long time that worked. And then it stopped working as well. I, I didn't feel the connection as well. And I started feeling really guilty. I'm a pastor. How can I not feel God in this connection anymore? And that was okay. The solution then wasn't to not pray. The solution then was to, all right, what are some different methods, scriptural methods, but methods to connect to God? So I started journaling. And my first version of prayer journaling was split. And it had gratitude and it had prayers. Uh, and actually, Erica was the one who I kind of got this from. Because uh, every night before she goes to bed, she does a little bit of gratitude journaling. I'm like, that's a good idea. I'll thank God for some stuff. And then I will uh, ask God for some stuff. All right. Well, the Acts method is that, but a little bit deeper. That The first one is to acknowledge. Technically, it's adorn, but no one uses the word adorn, so I'm jettisoning that. So acknowledging who our God is. And that's what I've been doing recently. And so now I start off my prayers with an acknowledgement section. Just remembering the God that we have. Who it is that I'm talking to. So yesterday it was, this is my family's father. That's the God that I'm talking to right now. Y'all are my family. Y'all online are my family. And so I'm praying to my family's father, not just my father, but our father. I'm praying to a savior who lived out God's will even until death. Right? That, that, that's the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus is stressed out because he knows what's coming next. And he's in tears. And what does he say? He says, Father, if you can, take this cup from me, but not my will but your will be done. I'm praying to a Savior who went to that length to follow God's will. And I'm praying to a Spirit who is teaching me God's will, who's inside me working on the internals to better have me hear what God is up to, that I can be better in line with God's will, and that I can be a better pastor because of it, that I can be a better husband because of it, that I can be a better neighbor because of it. Starting with acknowledging the God that we have. And again, like, if the journaling thing works for you guys, try it. And if it doesn't work for you, totally okay. As, as we go through this sermon series, as we talk through how we pray, 
Take the tools that work. Take the tools that are in tune with your season of life right now. And the ones that aren't, that's all right. You don't got to like throw them away, but you can just put them on the shelf. Maybe two years from now, five years from now, two decades from now, it will be something that you can use. But our hope, our prayer, is that as we go through this sermon series, we can give you guys a couple practical tools. And, and one last little bit. Uh, some of you may be saying, Josh, that was great, but I really wish we studied the Lord's Prayer more. That's a great idea. You should come on August 8th, and we as a church will spend some time studying the Lord's Prayer more, going deeper, asking questions. I really am excited about this event. It's not going to be just a Bible study. Uh, we really want the adults to have a VBS-like experience, too, where we're playing games, where we're moving around, where we're using different parts of our body and our brain to engage and to understand who our God is. And so again, August 8th, no matter what season of life you are in, if you are pre-kids, no kids, single, dating, you are invited. This event is for you. We're also going to have some awesome kids ministry happening as well for our littles. But let's pray. And we're going to do some confession in this because this whole idea of God's will versus our will is something that I wrestle with and it's something that you wrestle with. It's something that we wrestle with. And when we let our will come into conflict with other people's will, that's where sin starts to happen. That's where we make choices that hurt people, choices that are selfish, choices that break down relationships. And the good news is that even in the Lord's Prayer, our Father invites us to ask for forgiveness because we receive them. That God's will somehow, through a beautiful miracle, through Jesus' death and resurrection, covers over our broken wills, turns it, and invites us back into relationship with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, so often our own little selfish desires, our own ideas of what will make us happy, Lord, if we could just be king, Lord, it breaks down things. And we don't treat people the way you want us to treat them. We don't treat ourselves the way that you want us to treat ourselves. Lord, we forget you. We forget that the world isn't all about us, that we're at the center of the universe. Lord, and we sin, and that sin just leads to brokenness. So, Father, Lord, we confess, we, we're going to be real with you in this moment, that, yeah, that, that's still part of our, our unfortunate story. But, Lord, we are bold to confess because your word says that your son came to die for those who are still running away from you. Lord, that you are the God of Israel, that those who wrestle with you, and that your will is perfect and good and calls us back into right relationship with you through Christ's death and his resurrection. Lord God, thank you for who you are, Lord, and continue to reveal yourself to be. Lord, we say this all in your son's precious name. Amen.